the least you can kind of make it when you don't have, you know, like, you, I mean, those medications are strong, you know, like, I was taking Respiral, and, like, I don't know if you saw the movie Old Boy, but they used that to knock him out, like, they would put him on Respiral, and they'd knock him out, and go in the room and, like, change stuff around, like, that shit is strong, you know what I'm saying, it's like, <laughs> and, and, like, and, like and, I, and I think I was on, like, the maximum dosage. Wow. So, like, I mean, like, the high doses of it, like, and I don't even think I needed it that much. So, like, you know, when I first started uh, taking it, man, I needed, I was taking it because I was like, man, I was scared. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And, like, my mind was just everywhere. And, like, I was having these vivid dreams, like, hearing these vivid noises. And, man, I mean, just going into, like, the actual, like, scope of what happened in my mind, it is fascinating you know like you write a whole book about it it's fascinating yeah. it's like inception meets like uh matrix meets some other shit <laughs> you know what i'm saying it was no, just I like so much going on it was like it was fascinating and at the same time i was afraid but at the same time i wasn't you know what i mean because like uh smoking weed disciplined my mind to the point to the point where i wouldn't i, I didn't act on any, any of my paranoias to the point where i was like ready to attack somebody or hurt myself. I just didn't want to be around people because like I thought people could hear what I was thinking. You know what I'm saying? And like that's mm -hmm. a scary thing. You know what I mean? Like like you have no anonymity, you know what I'm saying? You no know, like no boundaries on your on your mind. Like, you know? Like it was just weird and uh Yeah, and then you know, I was hearing like repeated noises, like, you know, certain things like for video games, like like uh sound effects and it was just like a lot going on. It was like Almost like being inside a video game, and uh, and then I remember like when it when it happened. <clears throat> somehow I ended up downtown. I went for a walk, <laughs> and like uh, I saw them filming Batman One. It was just crazy because like they were filming Batman, and I'm having like this episode. So at the same time, it was like a beautiful thing was happening because I got to see like them film Batman. I ended up on like a rooftop, like. Uh, adjacent to like where they were filming it, so like all these people were like, "Hey, they filming Batman upstairs." So I ended up walking up, walking up a flight of uh, stairs with some people I'd never met, and watching them film Batman. And like, <laughs> it was like, it was like uh, these Tibetan monks were outside. So I would sit down and was talking to them, like, "Tell me, I'm having some issues right now. Like, is there any kind of help you can give me?" <laughs> and like, meanwhile, like I'm hearing like uh, cars rolling by. And like you know, the radios were like saying stuff to me. You know what I mean? Like it was such a weird experience. And uh, so, much, so many things amplified for you, all, almost all at once. I think it's an experience that that every every person should have in their life for them to truly understand um, what it means to require mental health help, right? Yeah. Um, it's vivid. It's vivid for the person who's experiencing it. And it's even more vivid for family members, friends that are helpless um, in that moment to make it better. Because you love that person, you care, at least from my perspective, right? right. Um, right. I have learned that I can't fight the battle because that, that's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fight her battles for her. I wanted to fight his battles for him. I wanted to be that buffer and I couldn't. And you do a disservice 
by not allowing them um, the power to be able to say, okay, this is what I need. Because when you're in battle mode as a mom, as a friend, as a relative, um, with someone who's struggling, you're in battle mode. You immediately jump into a defensive mode um, and you try to protect. But the truth is you don't need protection. You just need, you need help. You need help and you need help from people that are qualified to give it. And yeah. our best battle defense is emotional support. Um, like, I, thing, yeah, it's like the worst thing that can happen though is like when you are a person that's, uh, you know, diagnosed with that, you know, schizophrenia or whatever, and like, now everything that you do is because of that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like, yeah. like, like, like your family just assumes that you are off your medication whenever you yeah. say something. You know what I mean? Like, that's what started happening to me. Like, at first my family, a couple of my family, they, they were like really supportive, making sure I had my medication, like helping me make appointments and everything. And then like, you know, after a while, it's like, I'll ask some stuff about business. We went to business together too. So I'll ask some stuff like, hey, uh, what's going on with the sales of the book or how's this going? Are you on your medication? Like, what? <laughs> it's like you know, it's like, like, wait, wait, what's it going to do with profits? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> now I'm I, like, I, everything's I'm about, it, right? now I'm just crazy. Okay. So yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> it's I like, you know, this time, for a minute, for real. Huh? <laughs> it's like, it's crazy, man, because, like, you know, like, people start using that as an excuse to, like, derail you or, like, you know, uh, pigeonhole you or, gaslight you or more, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you have a record of this, so now I'm going to use that every time I don't agree with you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, wow. it's just toxic people will do that type of shit to people, you know what I'm saying? This is wrong, you know? That's like, powerful, though. Yeah, people do um, that, though, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, That's once they realize you got something, yeah. you've been diagnosed, they can be like peachy cream and try to help you, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, everything you do that they don't agree with is about that, and, and you can't be trusted, and like, they're going to tell everybody that, you know what I'm saying, you can't be trusted in this particular space or that, like, whatever, like, it's crazy, man. So you stop, so, so the minute you seek help, here's the conundrum, right? Yeah. You try to do it on your own and struggle because it'll be struggle. Um, or you try to get help and then once you get help, you're faced with the stigma of it. I, I, oh, well. That speaks so much to what we see now for mental health, um, both within um, the BIPOC community and out of it, right? Yeah. Um, like there's a flaw. Um, I, I saw this one time because I have ADHD um, and I always had to hold myself back uh, on commenting when people say, um, boy, you do a lot, right? Like I had to forcibly clench my teeth not to respond with, no, you do too little, right? right? <laughs> no, let's let's be fair, right? Yeah. Oh, you do too little. Um, and and because that's that's my trigger response. When people right. say, oh, you, you, you do a lot. No, you do too little, right? Um, right. Because if you're only capable of doing this much, why am I the odd person? Because I could do so much more. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's a tough nut to crack and it's even harder to do it as a movement 
um, for neurodiverse individuals. Um, and it's and and it's way more difficult to then profit from it, right? So to right. come forward and say, here's my art. Um, you're literally, that's what my daughter said. She said, when I show my art, I feel like I'm inviting the world to judge me. Right? I'm inviting the world to judge me um, because I'm letting them see a part of my soul. Um, <clears throat> and so when you create and you put your art out there, people are going to comment. Um, some will buy, tell you it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And some people will cut it to shreds. Right. Um, to then tell the narrative through that piece of art, not only who you are, but your lived experiences as well, and say, okay, now this is me. That's still inviting judgment to some extent. That's a difficult thing to ask an artist to do, right? Invite criticism. Um, because I never understood that term, constructive criticism. Criticism by nature is to tear down. How is right. it constructive, <laughs> right? Like, like, how is it constructive? Because you're going to tell me everything that's wrong, <laughs> right? And you're going to tell me everything that's wrong from your perspective, not not even, um, not even from from a perspective of oh, you know what would look better is if maybe you tried green hair, right? Um, no, I went black. <laughs> Right, you know, right. yeah, I, I never understood that term, constructive criticism. It's an oxymoron, right? It makes no sense whatsoever because by nature, the term means to tear down. So how is it constructive? Anyway, I digress. Um, but but I say all of that um, to tie directly back into all the things that we've been talking about, your passion when you talk about um, hearing hip hop for the first time, you talk about graffiti tagging and how you came into your name um, and the things that you've done which we haven't even touched on. We haven't talked about some of the famous people that you, you've created art for. Um, but you talked about your struggle as a youth, going to college, what that experience was like, and being realistic with it, right? Um, now in this day and age, you know, you can't go to college to get drunk, but that's what they do. Let's be fair, that's what they do. It's what I did, right? Um, you know, it's what I did um, because that was the norm. That's what you were supposed to do. And we talk about smoking weed. Now, there are different things with, with, with marijuana now that that we didn't have access to back then um, because it was just classified as a drug and because it was classified as a drug they never really investigated the therapeutic properties of it and how it can be utilized to help with mental health and mood disorders and, and um, even physical disabilities as well right um, yeah. you're seeing more and more we've got these dispensaries that are, are, are creating these strands that are specific to a person's need um, and that's what medicine should be, right? Yes, our DNA might be the same in what's bond us and makes us a human being, but who we are and how we respond is an individual and unique experience to these drugs that the pharmaceutical companies are just pump, they're, they're just pumping it out, right? There, there are more commercials today um, that encourages you to pop a pill to feel better than there right. is advertising don't feeling a little under the weather um is it snowing where you're at this could be related to weather want some help want to talk about it call this number nope pop right. a pill that's that what you see it's it's pushing it. yeah it's it's pushing that nar narrative that um if you're having a bad day take a pill 
take a pill, but that'll put me into a whole new category talking about who's the biggest drug dealers in the United States. So let's not go there. Um, <laughs> let's not go there. But, but, but you know, it, it, it's important that I think for my listeners, right, and, and us having this conversation, Glyph, um, that world that you see in your head, that you put on paper, that people like me enjoy looking at, right? Um, what that struggle was for you, right? Going to college, having the experience you had, and having that first breakdown, getting that diagnosis, um, getting help from friends and family. And then when that help stopped coming, when you would ask normal questions and then get pigeonholed or tagged as your disability. Um, and now the narrative is it's not a disability, right? The narrative should be that's my superpower. Um, because I live in this world mentally, um, I draw for you what I see, um, and it could change lives. It can change lives because imagery, again, um, it has the power to speak regardless of color, age, or culture. When they say a picture paints a thousand words, they were not kidding. Mm. Um, that's a very powerful, unique perspective to speak from. Um, how are you navigating that water? Are you are you curtailing what you put down when you're when you're weighing now with the project that you're working on? Are you curtailing or are you even more inspired now with your art? Mm. As far as my art, it's always been a constant, you know? It never changed as far as like how dedicated I am to it or like, you know, just like when I get diagnosed, I feel like I I decided to go into my art harder, you know. It's mm. like because I was in the hospital, right? They had me in the hospital for like in the psych ward, and like all I wanted to do was draw. You know, I had a Game Boy Advance. I would play uh, a couple of video games on it, and uh, one of the guards would sneak me a pencil at night. I would stay up until like three o'clock, and uh, and like I'll go sit in the common area. Where they, uh, you know, gave us our food at at one of those tables and uh, draw on uh, printer paper because uh, you know we want us to have sharp yeah. objects, right? Yeah, yeah. Thing, like, you don't want to give you those sharp objects, you know. <laughs> you can attack somebody, you attack yourself, apparently, whatever. But like, you know, once I was uh, rehydrated and like, I don't know, it was like I, I was good, you know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as I got to the hospital, I was fine. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I might have slept for like two days straight. It's like two days I don't recollect. You know, I don't remember two days. And then um, after that, I was okay. And uh, I just wanted to go home. But like they kept me there for like three weeks. So I was in there. And uh, my family would come visit me every now and then, like uh, once a week or something like that. So like they had me in the psych ward. And um, uh, basically, it was just like, kind of like a prison almost like a it wasn't really like prison but it was like you know they had everybody sleeping in one room or but it, but it was like co-ed so they had like girls on one side guys on the other side and like during the daytime we would like watch tv and like go sit out it was just man something i've never seen myself doing before and it was like a, but like there was a hint of maybe some kind of mental disorder happening when i was a kid like i drew a picture of myself in a straight jacket and it scared the shit out of me. Like when I was in high school, wow. like I don't know why the fuck did I draw that? Like you know, and then like you know, in two thousand four, it, it actually happened. But I wasn't in a straight jacket, but I was in a mental ward and like 
I was like, man, what the hell? Like, I'm here. Like, you know, but it wasn't like scary because it was like I wasn't under any kind of threat. Like, people were like just people that had some issues. Like, some people would be walking back and forth, be talking to themselves. Like, I was just normal. I felt like normal as hell. You know what I'm saying? I was like, damn. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know what? That's when you mark how crazy you really are, Glenn. Because if you're in a house full of other crazy people, you know what you say? And this is normal human behavior. At least I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's probably highly inappropriate for me to laugh and say. But the truth is, I get it. I fucking get it. Because that's exactly what I tell myself. At least I'm not that guy. Right? <laughs> man, I was just like, man, I was like, damn. I was just looking around like, man, this is fucked up. Like, yo, whatever. I just want to get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I've been there. I've been there. I made my first comic book in there, really. I like finished my first comic book. Wow. Like, I like drew, uh, I would draw like every night. Like, I was like, like I said, like the guy at the front desk would give me a pencil. It's like, man, ain't nothing wrong with you. <laughs> 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 it's like, man, you just, like, somebody probably slipped you something or something. I was like, yeah, I don't know. But I just did that drawing and like, you know, cracking up with the dude or whatever. I just drawing, you know, coming up with comic books and stuff. And um, I, don't, I don't even know what happened to that damn book. Uh, somebody got it somewhere, but <laughs> it's probably gonna like, be worth a lot in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah. I hope it resurfaces. I'll buy it if I have the money. You to buy it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I drew it, but it was it was really cool. Like I don't know that, and like I, you know, I use my imagination even growing up, like in the hood or whatever. Like when I got to anime, when anime was introduced into my life, I started like using that as a a way to look at things in a different light. Like, you know, give me a new perception of reality in the hood. You know what I mean? Like, because there's Dude. a lot of shit going on. Like, people getting shot. And like, like I said, I was going through some rough patches yeah. in my old neighborhood. So, like, I would use my imagination, like, hip-hop and skateboarding and whatever I could to get my mind off of, like, what's going on around me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I fantasize a lot about the, the East Coast being, like, some kind of utopia. Like, in my mind, like, the East Coast was, like, going to be, like, savior for me mm. back when I was, like, you know, it's like being from a small town and want to make it to the big city, and you got all these ideas of what it's like. And it's not. So, yeah. Nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's like, you know, that was like my big escape. And then anime came along, and that was my second big escape, like Japanese stuff or like, you know, Japan. And a lot of people use that as a way to like escape their reality without drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like, you start imagining things in different ways, like, you know, okay, what if this was like Tokyo? <laughs> I yeah. don't know, but. This is a target cheek way of like, you know, putting a light spin on things, you know. So uh all while I was in there, I was just thinking about it like an anime, you know. I was like, man, this is this reminds me of that or this reminds me of this or I don't know. Just put a light put some add some like uh some kind of comedy or humor to everything and just make it not so not not so surreal, like so serious, you know. It's like, man. So I mean so, so when I got out of there is I finally got out, but then my mom asked me, "Do you want to stay here? Like, you sure you don't want to just stay?" And I'm like, "What? Like, I don't want to stay here." Like, <laughs> like no, I want to die. This is like just making, just like just making sure because you know, says things aren't going to just get easier. You're going to have to work on some things. And I'm like, okay, for sure, whatever. Let's just go. Like, stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I want to what? You know what? I, I will tell you as a parent that I have had to make that hard decision. Um, again, it's that fight, that fight instinct, right? You want to protect your baby. And sometimes protecting your baby might mean, um, not being with you. 
Um, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough, Cliff. I will be honest. Yes, we, we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff. And we're laughing. Um, and you're right. It is a way to shine light in a dark room when you use laughter, right? Um, yeah. I've always said that if I'm not laughing, then I'd be crying. Um, because things can get pretty heavy pretty quick. Um, and it's, I think what I want most my for my listeners to hear is the humanity in it, right? Yeah. Um, it's no different than somebody um, being born without a limb or losing a limb, right? Um, mental health, for some reason, people are just scared. They're just scared. When you talk about mental health, it's just imaginary thing um, that seems to, to mark you. It, like you're just marked. Like you're defective. That's the word I'm searching for. Um, right. Like if you have um, or you require help, to communicate, to interact with the world, um, or you have no filter. My son has no filter. He's very blunt. Um, and so he doesn't, he, as a consequence, he doesn't have very close relationships um, because he, he doesn't, that buffer that you kind of develop over time and you learn um, in societal settings, being on the spectrum, um, that doesn't exist for him. So don't ask him, hey, do I look pretty? Because he, you know, a nice person would say, yeah. He would be right. like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Un unapologetically, unapologetically, he would be like, no. <laughs> right? Um, right? Because that's his logic. It's, right. it's yes or no for him. Um, and as a consequence, that can be very difficult in, in, in social settings, right? right. Um, in... To go through that experience um, and take a look around you. Um, and I think one of the key things that you said was when, as soon as I got there, I was okay. I think that had a lot to say with, you felt safe. And I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but I think for you, you felt safe because you wouldn't have slept if you couldn't, right? right. Um, and I think at that point, you know that you were someplace where you can get help. Whether that help was for one hour, five minutes, two hours, or three weeks, um, you were someplace safe. And I think that's what I want people to really take away from our conversation. I want them to understand that um, there are places that you can feel safe to get the help that you need, right? Um, yeah. There are places. I it definitely has something to do with me being safe there, but also, too, like, um, whatever they had put me on that like ran through my system and like kind of cleared up whatever was like imbalanced to some degree. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. and, then, and then also too, I felt safe, you know what I mean? Cause I was in a place where, you know, I felt like there was people understand what's going on and other people that were like going through worse things than me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It's the, hard though. Like that. Yeah. It's, it's hard though, Glyph. It's, it's hard for people to understand um, when, when they talk about ADHD, what actually happens is a chemical imbalance in the brain um, right. that can translate into not being able to pay attention on one thing for too long. But the truth is you bore me. <laughs> you know, right. that, that's the truth. Mentally, you bore me. So then my mind is constantly seeking 
for something else to engage in. Um, I say solving for X. That's my way of describing my superpower, right? My brain is always solving for X. Um, And because it's always solving for X, it's exposed to so much information that at some point it's going to find the answer it's seeking. But it needs a variety of places to get that input. Um, And so what might look to others as an inability to finish something, it actually means that for me, um, I need to find the other puzzle piece to complete it. Um, and it takes me around and about and what might seem a haphazard effort on somebody else's part. Um, for me, it connects the dots all the way around. And when I'm done, that's the finished product. It makes sense in my mind. Um, it clicks and then I move on. It's just my process. But my process does not necessarily mean that I am any different. Um, because we all want to be unique, right? Yet when we are unique, we're identified as weird, strange, different, crazy. We have all these taglines, right? But every time you see a commercial, it tells you step out in style. And stepping out in style means wearing this particular brand. That's labeling. But, you know, let me be that unique individual that say, hey, I just want to wear sweats and a T-shirt and no makeup. And I'm that type of person. What does that even mean? Right? Uh- <laughs> Yeah, what does that even mean? Um, It says a lot about tagging. It says a lot about labeling. Um, I have been very fortunate to have some great therapists that worked with my children, um, that worked with myself, that that helped me gain a better understanding of what I require for me to be happy, for my comfort level, for my mental wellness, right? Um, For my mental wellness. Are you, have you gotten to that point where you have figured out what works for you um, and have easy access to tap into it? Yeah, for the most part, um, you know, I realized that I don't need to be heavily medicated, you know what I'm saying, anymore. Like, I like, um, I take like a lesser, lesser dosage um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times I take it when necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you know, I, I have no effects of it today. You know what I mean? Like, the only time when I feel kind of antsy is when I'm like, well, I'm over that now, but when I would talk about it, I would feel kind of, like, nervous about it. Like, I don't want to talk it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I was like, um, I'm barely, I'm rarely even affected by it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, don't know, I just feel a lot more confident in my own stability, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel unbalanced. I don't feel like I got to have something that make me balanced in order to, like, navigate through this world, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, I've done a lot of research. Well, not a whole lot, but enough to, like, understand what I understand at this point. You know, like, uh, Europe and places like that, a lot of people who hear voices, uh, they call them voice hearers, and, like, they encourage them to talk to their voices and get to know them and all this stuff like that. And a, and a lot of them don't have negative negative voices, you know what I mean? Like, in places like Africa and Europe, like, a lot of their stuff is positive. Like, people be talking to them like, oh, it's a sunny day outside, you know? Voices but in America, it's like, I'm gonna kill you, you stupid motherfucker, something like that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you on here, but like, you know, like, the American... The, in, in, in this in this hemisphere, the Western hemisphere, like a lot of the people who hear voices is negative, and it's like 
people attacking you and you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, mine included, but in other places like Europe is like positive and like over time it subsides. You know what I'm saying? With like help. Wow. And uh, here, a lot of people get diagnosed with it and it just gets worse because like, but you know, I did a lot of mental work on myself. Like, like I would travel inside my mind and think back, like unravel like a lot of things like, okay, why do I think like this? Like, why is this? And, and a lot of it is just step back to things that happened to me as a child. Like, I did a lot of, like, work on myself as far as, like, thinking about, like, okay, rethinking things and seeing them with uh, an adult mindset. You know what I mean? Like, okay, when that happened, I can see as a kid why that would make me go down this path mentally. But now, looking, as a, looking at it as an adult, I understand that, okay, I was just a kid. You know what I mean? I didn't have to feel bad about that. You know, that happened, you know? I forgave myself, you know what I'm saying, about various things that happened that, you know what I'm saying, it may trigger some kind of uh, problem for a lot of people, you know, um, trauma, you know, different trauma, things that traumatized me or things that people might have said to me that affected me in a certain way that had me thinking this way about myself. Because basically all it is is going in and, like, massaging out all the knots, the knots, so to speak, like, in your brain or uh, the fabric of your reality, you know what I'm saying, like, trying to make everything smooth. That's mm. what I, That's the conclusion I came to, at least from the books and different things I've read, like just trying to like figure it out as far as uh, all right, why am I thinking this way? You know, now first I, you know, and then blaming other people at first was my main thing. Like, oh, this happened to me because this person wants this to happen to me or, you know, wow. they said that to me when I was a kid. And that's why I feel like this or whatever. But then like, as I got older, I realized, okay, no, this is my reaction to what happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, or this is my reaction to that thought or whatever, you know? Just a lot of it has evened out to some degree. So I feel like- That's an important part, I think, um, with, I mean, that's that's hugely important. Um, taking a look at yourself and identifying the things that you could have responded to better because control is an illusion, right? Um, we have no control over anything. The only thing that we may have control over, and I say may have, is how we react to them. Um, to be able to have that kind of self-awareness um, um, and saying, hey, blaming doesn't do me any good, right? Um, but taking a look at how I reacted and taking a look at the circumstances, places, peoples, and things that I put myself in or allow myself um, to enter that type of space is no good for me. It's what we, when you get to that point, when you realize toxic people, places, and things, right? Um, the things that affect your mental wellness that protects your peace, um, you should not feel or should not be made to feel guilty that you say, hey, hey, thanks so much for that invitation, but I'm going to have to decline, right? right? Um Hey, you know, um, I just don't feel like I'm in a good place for us to keep communicating, right? Um, right. I had to learn that. I'm 50 years old and I had to learn that, Cliff, and I'm still learning that. Um, because for some reason, it seems like we're supposed to have people in our lives. Honestly, um, I enjoy the people that I have surrounded myself with a, a great deal, a great deal. Yeah. Um, and that is primarily because they allow me to be me. They accept me for who I am. And so I had to stop 
surrounding myself with everyone and start right. surrounding myself with those are like the root of a tree, right? Mm. Because when you think of it, you have the leaves in a tree that blow away with any stiff wind. And then you have the branches that will break during a storm. But the root of a tree, it keeps you grounded and it's right. there when you need it. And I had to learn that difference in the people and the places and the things that I allow around me. Um, that's great self-awareness. The fact that you can you you identify that and say, hey, I need less medication. Um, this is what's working for me. I stop myself and I do that mental health checklist, right? Um, am I in a place that I'm comfortable? Um, is this triggering emotions for me if I'm drawing this type of art? Because it stuck with me when you said as a child, you drew yourself in that straitjacket, right? And it scared you. Um, because even back then, it's not, it's not, it's not still very much now in 2022. Um, the imagery of mental health is so varied and so scary that you can't really help. Um, one of the things I am so grateful for this doctor for, um, with my daughter, because well, we went through so many periods of uh, she might be schizophrenic or she might be this or she might be that. And he simply said, she is a young child with a growing brain. You cannot pin a diagnosis on her. What we can do is help when we see episodes coming along and here identify the things that will help soothe her and help her into a better um, wellness state is, is the word I was looking for, wellness state. Um, I was fortunate. I was very fortunate. That is not the experience everyone has. Um, and the fact that you were able to talk about your personal experience, being going someplace safe, talking to the monks on the rooftop, right? Just a simple act of conversation, understanding that, you know, when you were surrounded with so many people, um, it was easier for you to miss the diagnosis of yourself because your you were just too busy, right? And then when things really started to pile on, and not being able to manage that stress, which why people think it's okay for you to work two jobs, go to school, um, and still be creative is beyond me. Um, I don't know why they think it's acceptable that a single parent has to go to work, work three jobs just to pay the rent and still take care of a family um, and still look visually appealing when she didn't have three kids. Um, come on. But those are the unrealistic expectations that society has always placed and, frankly, the limitations um, that we're faced with now when we talk about mental health and well mental wellness, right? Um, for me, the struggle was finding um, a therapist. There was a six-month waiting list, and I am in a medium to high-income household zone in rural Pennsylvania, and there was a six-month waiting list for a child psychologist, a child psychologist, right? A child psychiatrist, a six month waiting list, six month waiting list. That's this is the kind of, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of, that's the kind of barriers that keep people from getting the help that they need. And then, because you have to think of it like layers on a table, right? Um, so you put one thing on there and it's not too heavy and you can manage it. But what happens if you keep piling things on that table that was not meant to hold that amount? It's going to collapse. And so Again, when you, right. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then also too, like when you used to carry a lot of pressure, right? And then all this mm. release from you. You know what I'm saying? Like that was my situation. Like on the south side, I was uh, always watching my back. Um, always knew that people could tell I was a good guy as opposed to like a thug or criminal. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, so I knew that the people in general, like, you know, looked at me as maybe a positive person. You know what I'm saying? Like that was my perception of their perception. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? So like I was I felt like I was, you know, a positive dude trying to do the right thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that was my perception of myself. And then I moved up north, uh segregation, you know, not a lot of people like me. You know, I felt like everybody was like cringing or like, you know, like trying to protect their person wallet. You know what I mean? So it was like I felt like damn, like fuck, do I look like a criminal or something? Like I was I would I would physically try to shrink myself. Like walking down the street, like damn. Like man, like I would feel like damn, like people looking at me like I'm gonna try to rob them and stuff. You know, I felt kinda this be this was like early two thousand, this is before Facebook and uh and social media there was like some kind of awareness to like racism and wokeness and all that shit, right? So this is before like all that. All we had was like Tupac talking about race. <laughs> right. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. We had rappers talking about it, but it wasn't like no physical proof. There was no like, you know, cell phone cameras and all that. So like people just was in a zone, being whoever the fuck they was, like see a big black dude, they walk across the street on your ass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They pull their purse closer. But I think that's some caring ass shit to do, you know. They didn't think about what they were doing, you know. So that, that was a lot of pressure on me, like moving around to a new neighborhood, like everybody's scared of me and shit. I'm like, damn, do I look that dangerous? Like what the fuck? <laughs> Self awareness like, like, out. Yeah, yeah. There's another so pressure. Like, like you said, like put the, all the stuff on the table. There's almost pressure you can handle, you know what I'm saying? That's a different kind of pressure, you know, like, yeah, you know? So, yeah, you're right. I was, I was agreeing with you, like, you know, like it's a lot of different pressure. You know, that... <laughs> that just made me really emotional. Um, Because my kid is a big kid. Yeah. You know, he's 20. Um, And his lived experiences, right? When you talk about race relation, and, and this was 22 years ago, right? Yeah. And it's still today. Right. It's, it's still today. Right. Um, and, and it's funny that you say that, you know, I, I never shrink myself. And I teach my son to shrink. I teach him to shrink because I want him to come home. Right. And it was like an instinct for me to try to shrink myself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would, I would like literally try to like bring my shoulders down and all that. Like, it just got uncomfortable, man. Cause like, I would be like on the train with like all these people looking at me like I did something wrong. And I'm like, a handsome ass dude. I wasn't over, I was like, <laughs> <in shape back then. laughs> I'm saying like, no, nah, I like, I'm not too old, whore, but like back then, I was in shape. I was just like a bigger dude. I was a good looking dude. So I'm like, I'm like, damn, like, why are these people tripping? Facts, <laughs> love you. Yeah, you're a good looking guy. You're definitely a good looking guy. I was in shape. I was young. And I was saying, I was like, not fat enough. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, you know, I was, I was, I was just like, man, like, I don't know. It was just weird to me because I felt like, why? You know what I'm saying? I have all the same 
kind of clothes you got on and shit. What the fuck? Do I look? I don't have nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't got nothing that's looking dangerous or nothing. Like, why? What are you expecting me to do? Like, what the fuck? I don't know. It yeah. was really weird. It was surreal. And like, and like, then I had people I would talk to about it, like friends of mine, that they wasn't really on my side, I guess. But they were like, I don't know what's going on with them at the time. Like, I thought they were my friends. I would try to talk to them about it. And they would have everybody else's back. Oh, that's all your head. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, gaslight me and shit. You know, like, that's all your head and all this stuff. It really confused me there. And I remember the worst time, I was like, man, like, don't you understand? You black, too, or whatever. Like, don't you get it? Like, you don't see what I'm saying? He's like, I'm not black. I'm Jamaican. (laughs) 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 Let's make that distinction, right? Yeah. I'm I'm Jamaican. It blew my mind. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) That was like the nail in the coffin. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) But it makes makes sense, though, because we all want to cling to that culture, that's what identifies us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny, I will tell you what, Asians get offended when you call them, um, if they're Japanese or you call them Korean. It's the same thing for people. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the time, I didn't understand it, but at the time, yeah. I was just looking for somebody to identify with what I was going through. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, man, I'm going about crazy. And it was like, ah, oh, you are like, damn. I was like, no, nah, you crazy, man, because I'm Jamaican. We ain't black together. <laughs> I don't know what you but you know that hey i tell you what when it comes right down to it and i hate this cliche with a passion I think it's bullshit. Um, you know, it, it's growing, it's adulting. You can have this fucking adulting shit back. Fuck you. Right? right? right. <laughs> I want to be a kid again where I still where I still remember everything being possible. I still right. want to be in that mental space where I could just dream endlessly of a great world where I still believe that Santa existed, right? right. Um, and there is this, you know, supreme being that will make everything better, right? I, I still want to go back there, um, but I'm grounded in this reality. Uh, I'm grounded in in this space that I occupy, in this dimension that I occupy, and know that you have to. The legacy that I want to leave behind, um, my my immortality, does not dwell within my body. It dwells within my mind and it dwells in the knowledge that I share and how I inspire and how I empower those around me um, and how I raise my children that are forever going to leave a a mark on this world, right? Because that's from generation to generation. Um, And it brings me back to being the ripple in the pond, right? Um, We are all capable of being that ripple, bringing awareness to um you're a small part in this huge universe just in the people that you interact with um and stopping that 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 massive information that's being pumped out about people like us people who are neurodiverse um who they are and who they shouldn't be and what label they should go by um it's on us 
and our allies um, to tell that story, to push that narrative, to make that change that we want to see. Um, it's been a real, real pleasure talking to you about your journey, Glyph. It really has. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your art. Yeah. Want to talk, and we have been doing that. To be fair, we have been doing that. Um, but I want to talk about some of the pieces that you've done um, for some very famous people. I spent some time looking you up, Glyph. You know that. <laughs> I spent some time snooping, Glyph. I did. I did. Spent some time snooping. Um, you got a lot of stuff out there. Um, samurai in a hoodie, which let me tell you, when I first saw it, okay, it, it's just I loved it. I love it's different. Um, it's captivating. The art is just fucking dope. It's just dope. Um, and then you did the cover for Wu Tang, bro. Like, did you meet them or they just like? How did you do that? It's a long story. Like, I, and, and I'll tell you. <laughs> but basically, uh, you know, I was working at this uh, art gallery called RGB Lounge back in the early, well, mid two thousands. And uh, while I was there, I met this guy named Kane. He was like a local MC and like a. Uh, just like a real cool dude, you know what I'm saying? Just like into like different fashion and like you know a lot of people, I guess. Like I didn't know that he knew Wu Tang though. But long story short, I was working uh, at RGB Lounge and then uh I needed a little bit of extra money. I was doing art, I was doing an illustration out of our RGB Lounge. I was like an illustrator and I would give them a percentage so I could use the spaces and like, I'd get a lot of clients coming in and stuff like that. And uh it was like a co-op. So basically uh, I needed more more hours, like more money. So I, I started bouncing at like this bar, right? So um, as a bouncer, you know, I got to know some more people and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like in the industry, like as far as like the night industry and the club industry and the bar industry. And, uh, you know, one day I went to my job. I was off work. I was like, where is everybody at? Like I just see the motorcycles outside. It was like a big motorcycle bar I worked at, right? Like Roadhouse. Shit, that's a whole other story, right? <laughs> Yeah, and they're yeah. fighting and kicking people's ass every day <laughs> as a bouncer. <laughs> well, wow. my different lives, it's my different lives, you know. So, uh, basically, they're like, Everybody's at Cobra Lounge tonight. So, I'm like, Oh, really? Why? Wu Tang's performing. I'm like, Really? So, I'm like, Man, I just, I'm like, Man, I tell it over there. And there's like all the guys that from my bar were doing security for the Cobra Lounge that night. So, I went over there to see if I could get in. And me, Wu-Tang, you know? <laughs> and, like, I just so happened to have, like, my uh, sketchbook and, like, all my work on me because I was carried around because I worked at the at the art uh, gallery. So, uh, basically, I went down there, and I uh, saw one of the guys I knew, and he was like, man, I will let you in, but, man, they said no, uh, you know, outside guests or whatever. Like, so I'm like, damn, all right, I understand. So I, like, left. I was about to leave. And then I saw my guy, Kane, and he was chilling with Wu-Tang. He was, like, with all of them. I'm like, what? What the hell's going on? Like, dude was like, yo, Glyph. I was like, yo, what's up? He was like, yo, come kick it with us. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, I'm in the house. Whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm over <laughs> so I go over there and it's like, I'm over there telling with Wu Tang clan. And then uh, we go to uh, to the back entrance. And he introduced me to everybody. Like, he was like a stylist or something. Like, he uh, picked out like their clothes or something for them to wear that day or something like that. So like I'm chilling, I'm chilling with them, and I got my sketchbook. 
So like I'm just watching them perform or whatever. And then we go to the uh, the green room. I start talking to like a few members. We just like cracking up about some stuff. We just you know just shooting shit. And uh, that's what I noticed. They DJ. Nobody was really talking to him. And he was chilling too. I'm like man, nobody. And so like, everybody was talking to Wizard. I talked to him for a minute. I started talking to mathematics. Uh, and uh, I had my art out showing on my work. He was like, yo, this is dope. Cause I'm working on this book called um, I'm working on this book called Punks of Rage. And uh, it was like a hip hop thing. This dude that Joe Fury made it from Chicago. Like, you know, I drew a few issues of that too. Like, nice. a book called Punks of Rage. It's called Punks of Rage. Send him a shout out. <laughs> there you out. go. I'm going to look it up now. Yeah, they had like, you know, I did the first uh, three uh, issues of that. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that was cool. Like, that was like one of my first introductions to like drawing underground comics. You know, I always wanted to draw comics, but nobody really gave me a shot. He was like the first person who really, uh, Put me on and pay me to do it. <laughs> right? Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, make sure you talk about that, right? Because you know, somebody yeah, you always got a friend who can draw. Man, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? <laughs> yeah, and he actually paid me. And I wanted to do it. You know, so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna this up. It's it's all punks like P U N X. P U N X. Yeah. So like, uh, I had a bunch of his work on me that I did for him. And dude was impressed. Like mathematics was like, "Yo, this is dope." It was like, "Oh, like, oh, like for sure." It was like, uh, "Yeah, number like, I hit you up next week, whatever." Like, man, sure enough, I called him up, and dude had work for me. You know what I mean? He had some work for me to do, and had the money to pay me. <laughs> and I was like, "Man, this dude, is really this is dope." Yeah, dude is like, uh, he's dope. Yeah, they got like a whole, you know, their crew is pretty raw. You know what I mean? Like, like I was impressed when I saw it. And I, I wanted to work with the man. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, a lot of that stuff was just the cover work, but I just, a lot of this you see on my website, the insides of these, like, you know, because I did like the inside work. So I just did the covers uh, for those, you know. But, um, but yeah, man, like basically he hit me up. I was working on a project for him, like a 3D. We was going to do like this 3D project he wrote. It's going to be like an animated, because, like, you know, I do 3D animation. So, like, I just uh, was working on that, showing him like all the stills. Sending it back and forth to him. He was talking on the phone a lot. I'm talking to like, and come to find out, dude is the one who made the logo to Wu Tang. So I'm talking to like one of the founders of Wu Tang Clan. Like, wow, amazing to me. Like we like friends or whatever. It was dope. <laughs> and it was just, like real cool. We was down to earth. It's like somebody I knew. It's just like a friend. You know what I mean? It wasn't like that. Like you know, I wasn't all starstruck, and I knew it was just it was just like natural. So like, uh, we joined some stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out that he didn't want to finish that product, you know, like that project. But, like, um, he had already paid me some money. So, you know, I was like, the next thing we do, I just put what you gave me towards that. You know what I mean? So I wasn't going to try to, like, you know, just run off with his money, even though, you know, I was going to definitely cut him a deal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to work with you some more, you know. You know so basically, uh, I think, like, a couple of, maybe, like, a couple of years went by or a couple of months. I don't know. The time went by. And uh, I hit him up, and I uh, was like, yo, you got anything, you need any work or something like that? And like, he was like, yeah, actually, you uh, need some two some illustrations. So I just started, like, you know, you know, I put the money he gave me towards that. And he gave me even some more to do the new stuff, too, just a little bit. You know what I mean? Something just to show good faith and, you know what I'm saying, not be a joke. You know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, basically... 
some years went by and uh, ended up he wanted to use some of the work that I did as the album cover for the new project. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. I'm looking at the, the video game you created too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a video game during COVID. <laughs> that was crazy. Like, I always wanted to make video games. Me and my brother used to talk about what we would do if we had the ability to make video games, and I'm just trying to make it happen. Like, uh, right. when COVID started, I found myself in between living situations. I was crashing at my sister's house in her basement. So, like, and, uh, her kids, my nieces, you know, my grandmother was there. So, like, man, it was just cool. It was like being a kid again. I'm in the basement working on a video game at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> it was like, so, like, you know, we go to the grocery store wearing masks and coming in, wiping down everything with alcohol. And it was an interesting little window of time. But during that time, was I came up, I learned how to uh, program some games and, uh, and, you know, start putting all my, my gaming. Uh, skills to to use you know use the unreal engine and uh that's how the game came about you know i'm still working on it i got a few more things i need to, i need a lot uh, actually a lot of more things to add to it but uh you know i'm working on it and uh yeah, that's yeah it, it got like the old school side scroll feel to it you know what i mean i'm trying to like yeah yeah that's what i was thinking you know to yeah. make you feel like you know putting some more quarters in it like at yep. the arcade yep. whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It definitely got that vibe to me. Like, like this, I would have played this game all day at the arcade. That's how yeah, I feel I, about I, it. I'm a big fan of retro arcade games, man. Big fan, man. Give me some Pac-Man and I'm good to go. Oh, um, yeah. I played <laughs> Double Dragon. That was my thing. The bad uh, dude was Double Dragon. Donkey was one of my favorites. Yeah, but but yeah, this is smooth, man. Thanks. It's really and, smooth. Uh, yeah, man. So, you know, after the the whole, like, Wu-Tang album cover thing, like, you know, uh, I told my sister about it, and she wanted to get involved in it, and, you know, she kind of, uh, what did she do? Uh, I don't know, she did something, but <laughs> we ended up... Um, yeah. yeah, it is what it is know. with family, man. You know, sometimes yeah. you just, same thing, toxic people, places, and things, you, you, you move on, and you expand, and I know you've got a, a really great... Um, project coming up. I wish we could talk about it. More to come on that, people, later. Um, but yeah, um, very, very talented from the artwork to the illustration to the game development. Um, your 3D stuff, like I think if I could find it here, the one you did with the big guy, I don't know why he's my favorite. He just is. I'll be honest. He just is. Um, I think it was on this one, right? I think it might be on my. Uh... I think it might be on my website. I don't know. This one, yeah. It, it was just to me. And then, you know, all of this trending into the metaverse and assets and how you make it. Um, I cannot say the word to save my life, but it's where the metaverse asset can go in between blockchains. Um, <laughs> intro, intro, but, but you know that word. <laughs> I don't know why I struggle with saying it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just, it's on point. In all of this journey, um, being 42 and coming into the space, and you're looking at these young kids pumping out this uh, this this art, monetizing it, and looking at it, um, but all of it digitized, right? I, I still yeah. have a passion for handcrafted art. 
I still have a passion for handcrafted goods and services, right? Um, that personal feeling that I still want to be treated as unique. I still want to be treated as an individual rather than as a whole. Um, and so it shows in your work. It shows in your work. I will tell you out of all of them, which people might find it different, um, Big Hair is my favorite. I like oh, her too. On your website, um, yeah, yeah. love everything about her. I love the color. Um, and you told me that one was actually from 2004. I told you I was going to, it's probably inappropriate, but I probably would have liked your work more then because your, your mind was just unfiltered, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, I love this. Nice. Weird enough, right? This, this is actually my favorite, but I have always liked color. Um, um, cause when I use color, it's usually black or silver. Okay. I kid you not, Lef, when I use color, it's black or silver, but what do I like to look at? I like to look at a lot of color. And this is just so visually appealing to me. I, cause I, I, I love steampunk. She's yeah. got the little glasses on, the scissors, the style, the boots, all of it. All of it. It's actually one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Um, love your work. Love your work. Uh, yeah, my pleasure, man. I know it's been uh, longer than my usual podcast. It's usually an hour, but I felt there was just so much to dive into with you, your journey, um, your process, where you're There's at. More. There's more. That's so many stories. <laughs> For next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For next time. For next time. So we definitely have to do this again, Glyph, um, here with the myth, the man, the legend, um, Glyph Sputnik. Right? Oh, thank you uh, so much. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your time, baby. I appreciate yours as well. I appreciate everything. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Have a great day.